Hello and welcome to 2000. You can say that. That's Jason Fenske's. Hello and welcome is Jason. We're glad you're with us. Oh, that's Motor Week. That's out. Yes. Okay. Um, this. No. Oh, that's no. Doug. You've done um, it. What of the, um, in case you're new to Throttle House. Um, shit. That was, no. And I'm James. Um, we have, we have books. And now for the news. That's somebody did that. The top, uh, top gear. Tonight. 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 Oh, Jake made us a fabulous New background. decor. Yeah, this was funny. Actually, Everyone we, will surely know what that is. That is a VR6 head gasket. Yes. Do you know which VR6 that is? No. It's 2.8 liter. Um, I bought Did that as a prop. they come in other displacements? Yes. Oh, 3.2 uh, three, two, three, the, two and 3.6? Yeah. Uh, but that is the, the original 10.2 liter, uh, 10.2 degree, whatever. Uh, Jake, we were talking, it was... We're talking with Jake over the break and we're like, hey, we need to do something to judge up this thing. We're like, maybe we'll paint the wall or do something. And uh, he and his wife had AI make, uh, it was your wife, right? Yeah, had AI make a bunch of suggestions of what the background could look like. And it's fucking epic. I mean, it's um, not a lot of, there's a lot of room for improvement. That's not our strength here. It's hopefully the well, con- quality of content that we deliver. More on- importantly, we're, this is just, consider this a step one in the, in the, in the direction of the new and improved, much prettier Carmudgeon Show, comma, part of the Haggerty Podcast Network. Brought to you by your hosts, Jason Camisa and Derek Tam-Scott. And by the Helena Rubenstein Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> the Helena Rubenstein Foundation. You just, the one thing I hear from you over the break is not like, hey, hope you're feeling better. If you need anything, let me know. I said you have exactly COVID. literally that. Before you. you said that, however, you're like, hey, check out this link for the Wikipedia page for, the Helena, for Helena Rubenstein. And I'm sitting there in my fever going, oh. This is a name that I've heard my whole life and I know nothing about Hella. She was a badass. Right? That's why I sent it to you. And it's how sad is it this woman donated probably hundreds of millions of dollars to the creation of all this PBS content and we just fucking dismissed her. And Mm -hmm. 40-something years later, here I am going, oh, bitch was fucking cool. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Better late than never. Anyway, this episode is not about Helena Rubinstein. It's not about PBS. It is about... um, it is a heated, no, it is not heated. It is a frank exchange of ideas on the topic of, I don't know, affordability and whether it's a good time to be a young car enthusiast first entering the market as a buyer of a first discretionary money type of enthusiast car. And you'll be very surprised to hear that the old man in the room, i.e. that one, is like, things suck and kids have it hard and it's shitty and whatever. And they fucking- At least it's sympathetic instead of like, just- Suck it up. Make more money. <laughs> And buy a car. I didn't say that. I'm saying, oh, we're going to, we basically. I didn't say you said it. I was just saying that I was having a perspective. Fair enough. But my thing is, it ain't that fucking bad. You just don't like the things that the kids (laughs) like because you're too fucking old. And on that bombshell, to use another topic, uh, please consider joining the Haggerty there's a noise outside. You probably can't hear it, so they all think I'm crazy now. I hear buzzing. Is there buzzing? Uh, please consider joining the Haggard Drivers Club, which is responsible for this. Uh, God, it's been a year since I've done this. The last time I said this was 2023. I have Haggerty Drivers Club. You yeah. can support us by joining it, and it offers free roadside towing for your classic cars. Roadside assistance generally, yeah. uh, access to the valuation uh-huh. tool, the subscription uh-huh. to the award-winning magazine, and one other thing that Jason- Access to VIP events and discounts on yes, all your favorite stuff you. and whatever. Great. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Link is below. Um, and and ready, set, go. Jingle. Yeah. 
How did you Carmuchin know? jingle. Oh, I have to pee. So I thought really, <laughs> jiggle what? No, not yet. Holy shit. Oh, oh, hold on, hold on. <laughs> this episode of The Carmungeon Show is brought to you by the Valentine One Radar Locator. Find radar before it finds you. Get more information at bit.ly slash valentine1 underscore haggerty. That's https colon forward slash forward slash bit dot ly slash capital V-A-L-E-N-T-I-N-U number one underscore capital H-A-G-E-R-T-Y. Are you actually recording already? Yes, all of that was recorded. Oh, shit. Good thing we didn't use any names. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hi. Hello. It's 2024. Both in the time of recording and the time of consumption of this yeah, episode. Yeah. And you know what 2024 is the fourth time in a row of? A leap year since I was born? <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I'm just... also, it is a leap year. It's yes. also, I hope, the year that we can stop talking about fucking COVID. Mm. I genuinely thought this was done. Like, I just thought nothing of it. And then I got sick, of course, between Christmas and New Year's. The only week I had off the entire year. And hmm. uh, yeah, and then one of my friends is like, did you test? And I'm like, no, why the fuck would I test? Like, it's a cold, it's fine. But I had a fever and I'm like, I, I'm late getting the booster, so I'll go get checked out. And uh, yeah, the fucking thing, like just alarm bells went off. Apparently I very much have COVID. So I well, hope- uh, My turn, I guess. Uh, yeah, but like seriously, what year? This is 2020 part four. Yeah. Like enough Good of times. this shit. At least it's not like lethal for most people anymore. Yeah. If you're I mean, vaccinated. Yeah, if you're vaccinated and have been exposed 200 fucking thousand times like I have apparently, mm-hmm. it turns into a nasty cold. And I'm, Oops. did you shit yourself again? <laughs> yes. This is the second episode in a row where something has plopped out of you <laughs> at the ground. <laughs> Oopsies. What, oh, what the, did you eat? Um, an apple store, apparently. An apple store, yes. So anyway, so that was my New Year's, was sitting by myself watching Drive to Survive on Netflix. Oh, you're getting caught up. Well, I'm caught up with that, and so then I switched to the Great British Bake Off. Um, (laughs) Natural pairing of TV. Well, the problem was, I was sitting there, so when you have a fever, your heart rate goes up. And so my Apple Watch kept yelling at me that my heart rate was high. Because you were excited about motorsport? Well, I also had a fever. So it was over 100. But every 10 minutes, it's like, you haven't moved and your heart rate is over 100. What's wrong with you? And I'm like, fucking. So I finally just couldn't (laughs) keep watching Drive to Survive because I was too, like, excited about it. And then I switched to the Great British Bake Off. Which was less exciting. And I still kept getting them. So so then I took my temperature. I'm like, oh, okay. You were just excited about baking. Uh, That show is so good drive to survive or the great british bake-off yes i haven't seen great british bake-off it's just good old-fashioned wholesome television with a lot of british innuendo um and one of the contestants this year they had to make a everyone made cakes out of i hope the audience isn't like turning out but i'll make it quick because it's really funny poor jake is like yes they all just turned off and he just left uh now eventually you do plan to have cars on your on your car podcast no, they had to make they had to make animals, and the one uh, contestant decides to make uh, a beaver. And of course, Prue, the grand old dame, is like, "So let's talk about your beaver." And everyone loses it. And then she's like, "All of you, stop it! Like, just you know, stop it right now! You're being childish. Let me see your beaver." And then she loses it. And it's just—I mean, it's just a fucking stupid. Quite often, I need two holes so that I can squirt. 
I don't care really about baking, but I love people. I love watching people who are incredibly talented at mm. something I'm not. Yes. And you watch these people who are just not pro anything. They're just normal people. Um, and they're amazing at the things they can do. It's the same phenomenon to watch like Idol back in the day because you're or just- Or the Olympics. Or the no, well, those are people who are trained, really, really trained. Mm. But like Idol- Are you like, talking about people walking in off the street? People just kind of walking off the street. Like, you know, you had uh, Jennifer, what's her name? Jennifer Hudson, I still have COVID brain, who was just like, they're like, do you have any formal training? And she's like, nah, I kind of sang in the shower. And, you know, and then she opens her mouth and you're like, you're the voice of our, uh, an entire generation. Like, where? How, how did you not know that you sounded like that? And it's the same thing with the bakers and the same thing with even- um, was that fucking terrible show project runway i watched a season of years ago and i clearly know and care nothing about fashion but you're watching these people and you know tim gunn's like models designers have a a, ba a hefty cinch sack and they make these pieces of art out of it and you're like what where did you come from and how the hell did you do that and uh, you know i'm amazed by watching people who are great at their craft same reason i watch m539 um, straighten. I just watched his hour and a half long video of assembling an S65 V8. And he is not trained as a mechanic, which is scarcely believable when you watch him work because he's so meticulous about everything he does and his technique on, on working on anything, including an engine, which is his first time he built anything, is it's like watching an artist. So Yes, I highly recommend any watching anything where someone is it's good at something. Good at, what did you do for New Year's? I don't remember. That um, much drinking? That's no, no. I had like two drinks, maybe. It's a lot for you. I know. Did you buy another uh, another car drunk? No, I didn't buy any more cars. No more drunk car buying. Okay. Uh, I am trying to swear off of that unless it's for business reasons. Uh, because then it could potentially be financially favorable instead of unfavorable which is usually what happens when i buy shit boxes yeah hold on didn't we just do an episode about cars that you know shouldn't cost you all that much money the bull market episode oh <laughs> to you own should. yeah well yes i'm not buying any of those cars that are <laughs> that are advisable i'm buying inadvisable yeah, cars oh, like fine. citroens yeah. and and 202 mercedes that you yes. take rallying yes yeah but that's like a fully like i'm okay with writing off 400 dollars. you know Actually, I think we're in the car 2,500 now. Wow. Yes. That's that's total, not per person, right? Correct. Okay. Yes, $2,500 okay. total okay. investment in the um, rally clock. So you did, no, you did no classic car rally on the first? No, no. I've been busy working. We're trying to get this business launched. I mean, who's, who's buying cars on January 1st? Well, there's all this like background stuff that you have to do in order to get the business launched, like make a website and put copy on it and have bios and get the cars listed and capture apps, assets of all of them and all that stuff, which we were doing. On January 1st? I mean, whenever it's convenient and everyone's available, it doesn't matter. That's the oh nice God, thing about really, working for yourself. You are a startup. Yes, but also that means that like on random Tuesdays, I'm like, I'm going to the beach. and You did that fun. anyway. Yeah. Every single time I've called you in the last two years during the business day, you were in a gym. Mm, that's not true. Maybe 96%. I like to go when it's not crowded. And if I'm writing a script, then I can do that at any old time. Mm. You know, you do that too. You write it all hours of the day and night. Yeah, but I don't go to the gym six times a day, clearly. <laughs> um, um, you know. No, what I did done do uh, is a garage refurbishment. 
Oh, I did a facelift on my on my home garage and um, life cycle impulse. A life cycle NLCI to use uh, BMW's terms. I had had enough with the so for those who are not intimately familiar with my garage, I did this. 12 years ago or something i took the shitty garage with that had no drywall and whatever else and i drywalled it and then i do everything kind of on the cheap so um i did home depot nine dollar and 66 cent four foot uh fluorescence and i did 12 of them so it was 12 four foot two light um uh, fixtures on the ceiling it was like forty five thousand lumen and it was like working in an operating room and then I gradually over the years kind of painted to a couple of walls gray and then I epoxied the floor. I did that actually first, um, which was super easy. And then um, Home Depot had a 50% off sale on their like shitty kitchen cabinets. So I did kitchen cabinets and a kitchen countertop. And I just, overall, I think the garage looked pretty good. I had a little disco ball and a Studio 54 sign in there that I had found at a... Um, like a place that would just recycled old junk. And so it just had a theme and it was kind of fun and it made me smile when I drove in. And I decided that like my warehouse has a four foot in diameter disco ball in it. It's also painted like dark black. Like I need to have one disco looking space and just do a different theme for my home garage. And the fluorescents were becoming a nightmare. They were like at any given time, 20 or 30% of them were out. And I was constantly now replacing ballasts and like they're just getting impossible to get. And so fuck that. I ripped them all out. And as it turns out, there are a bunch of gentlemen who are across this very parking lot uh, who own a lighting company. And I had talked to them a year ago about getting LEDs. And so they do extruded lengths of uh, C-channel LED, like LED fixtures that go inside. Um, they're five-eighths inch deep, so they go inside up against the framing, and you butt um, uh, drywall right up against them and mud up to them. So they're just reset, basically flush-mounted flush. LEDs. And I'm like, you know what? I can just screw these right onto my existing ceiling. And so I did. And so I did 96. So they are not flush. They are not flush. So I painted the ceiling black, flat black, almost black. It's like a charcoal. And then did 96 linear feet, so uh, 16 feet times six fixtures in a row, and put dim to warm color-changing LEDs in there. So that the dimmer they go, the more like candlelight they get. Uh, so they're 1,800 Kelvin to 2,700. Um, and then I have a hole in the middle of the ceiling where the old garage door opener was. Oh, I put a new garage door in. I finally got rid of the like 40-year-old broken one that I had. And I went with a glass one to let light in because I take a lot of pictures in that garage and it's effectively doubles as a photo studio. And so I got rid of the garage door and the center mounted um, garage door opener motor unit. and went to the motor unit mounted on the side, Yes, which, and we moved the tracks up by like a foot. And so it totally opened the ceiling and I'm like, I don't want to patch that hole because <laughs> I hate doing drywall work. So I wired up and installed and outrageously ornate, ridiculously trashy crystal chandelier with a 21-inch white medallion in the middle of it. I and see. put dim to uh, dim to warm bulbs in there. So I am now going to show you and we're going to get your reaction um, to my now even more ridiculous garage mahal. So there's the bunch of just keep swiping through there. And <laughs> it's fabulous. <laughs> It's just, I mean, it's immensely, it's ridiculous. Cute. And I thought, like, 
if this is the, this is my entrance to the house. This is how I come in and out. And you know, like when, when the garage door opens, I want to laugh. Like, that's the thing is it should be silly. And I'm, since I have the warehouse and it's no longer really working on cars so much in the space, I don't need it to be an operating room. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's so stupid. But then I decided to get rid of the, uh, the Studio 54 sign, and I have the Alpine stereo there. Mm -hmm. And so now it's this beautifully lit, ridiculous, cheap, because I'm cheap. That chandelier looks like it cost somebody with very bad taste thousands of dollars. It's plastic. It's from Home Depot, and it was $129. Mm. Perfect. Yeah. I am... I, we did one episode on Garage Mahal's already, so we, we'll cut, leave it at that. But uh, I think everyone should go out. Like, I feel like HGTV should be sponsoring this. Everyone should go out and just do something fun in your garage. Like, I want the neighbors, none of them have seen it yet, but like, I want the whole neighborhood to burst into laughter every time the, the garage door opens. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Well, some, some like, like bougie people put like a chandelier and a seating area in their fucking closet. I spend a lot of time in this room and it's my greeting when I walk in the door. The, the door should go up and the chandelier should go on and it should automatically probably be playing like some Saint-Tropez, uh, like, you know, chill out music. So, yeah. Okay. Well, congratulations. Uh, thank it you. Sounds like you put, you spent the time on something more productive than I did. This is, this is what happens when you have a fever. <laughs> Uh -huh, you have fever dreams. Sitting on the couch and you're like, I can order that chandelier for $129 and go have curbside delivery at Home Depot. Anyway, uh, your your garage is next. You're gonna have to zhuzh that up. Mm, I think I have to focus on my business. Okay. What uh, business, business. What are you doing? Tell everyone. Uh, now it is publicly launched, so I could I promise that I would provide an update. It's uh we're just a we're used car dealer. That's my dream. Daihatsu, what 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 did you do last time, Jake? Daewoo and Daihatsu. Daihatsu, Daihatsu yes. The, nobody's D is bigger. What the fuck did you? She came up. You're gonna have to dig that back up. Came up with a logo that, of course, made us the biggest D in town. Yes. Yeah. DTS is DD dealership. The biggest D in the town. So um, yeah, we're not selling. We have not yet sold, unfortunately, any Daihatsus or Daewoos. So yet. when you say you use car dealership, you're talking about cars. Yeah, whatever. Uh, yes, our clients have that might be of interest. So, yes. I mean, Honda Civics. Yes, Honda Civics. Ferrari yeah. F40s. If available, yeah. If, okay. If we have some Porsche RSs and stuff like that. What is so, this business called? It's called OTS, which is the last initials of the founder. So the co-founders are, there were three, we are three. And um, one of them, his father has probably what is... The, one of the best Ferrari restoration shops in the United States. I mean, he's a Pebble Beach judge, uh, and he's grown up in that environment and is also a racing driver. Uh, and so his name is Tazio Otis. Uh, I won't Tazio, of course, named after Nuvolari. Nuvolari, Tazio Nuvolari. That's I actually met, his middle name. Uh, what is? I can't, Tazio, Tazio I can't oh, really? disclose his, his first his, name. Uh, I met Tazio, as I decided to call him. Uh, tots, tater tots. Tater tots. I met him, I've only met him twice in my life, but one, the first time we encountered each other was on a New Year's, it's probably like five years, six years ago this week. Mm -hmm. um, on a, I was on my way to a New Year's rally and I stopped to get gas and 
I will have a photo of this because I took a picture of a red Chevy Sprint Turbo oh, yes. getting gas. And I'm like, what numbnuts is out at six o'clock in the morning on New Year's Eve in this car? And he was like, oh, I'm on the way to the rally. And so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he that still was... has that. Okay. And uh, one of our other founders has a white Chevy Sprint I know, that Turbo. that is unbelievable. So two thirds, I guess I'm, that means I'm next. Well, uh, and the other weird thing is your other founder interviewed to be Paolo before Paolo was Paolo. Yes. So uh, he's founded Vault, he's, the, yeah. the car club in the Bay Area. Um, so, so yeah, it's very funny enough that uh, small that, universe, small world. Um, okay, so it's the three of you. It's OTS with BTS yeah. and DTS. Yeah, I mean, if if so, people of course now that I've announced that I'm leaving ECME are like, what's going to happen with BTS? You know, people are concerned about that. We'll try and keep it alive. We'll try and find a way to keep it alive. I have already mentioned to the Haggerty people that you should join us on the Haggerty channel. Mm. Um, Look, you got to pay the bills. Yes. I'm just trying to help you. You know, you can insert every in every episode. Hello, this episode is brought to you by OTS because none of you have any money and we have all of it. (laughs) Well, no, we have the cars. I I think the, 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 it's car rich, cash poor. That's kind of the. The theme. Is that your? That's, <laughs> That's our here we go. You just gave Jake another Photoshop. <laughs> OTS, car rich, cash poor. Oh yeah! <laughs> I actually ripped that off of a guy who owns a Miura. <laughs> Not me. He well, owns of course he's a, cash poor. He's got to fucking keep the Miura yes. running. I had two for a while. Oh god. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, we're uh, we're all relatively young in this business, and we have experience in the old timey cars because we both spent a lot of time around vintage Ferraris. Uh, Would you call yourself young in this business? Um, I think so. I mean, it's dominated by if you go to a- annually, Haggerty has this thing where all of the industry people get together, and I would say that yes, in that space. Okay, we're but, young. There's a lot of people who have dealers who are old timers who've been around since the dawn of time. I mean, there's a lot. There's this legacy group of dealers that you know yeah. have yeah. existed for a long time. But I would, I think you're selling yourself short to say you're new in this business. You've been selling. Oh, you've been actively y- part of this yes, business. Yes, young for by age. Twenty. Yeah, two thousand three. Okay, it's twenty one years. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a long time. Yes, but I mean, so I, and in that course of doing that, I interacted with, I saw the way things were 20 years ago. And that's actually the topic of this episode that I'm, we're working our way to oh, no. gradually, which is the way that I think things have changed a lot in the last 20 years. Welcome in the, to the In My Day. Uh, yes, I know. Day, we did slide rules. Oh, God. Back in my day, you could buy a gullwing for 76 cents. Well, that was a lot of money in that day. I know, it was. That was like a week's pay in the Depression. Um... You'll have to tell me all about that one day. Tell me about your depression experience. Um. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so anyway, we've, we both have been doing this quite literally since we were children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we have a lot of experience in the way, the old, the old way of doing things, but also, you know, I have, are young enough to have experienced the way things have changed and seen the landscape changed and the emergence of this whole new era of collectible cars in much the same way the same thing was happening 20 years ago. You know, 20 years ago, the cars that were like emerging were things from the 70s where you're like, could a car from the 70s ever be collectible? You know, you're like, look at the terrible colors. This one's lime green and this one's orange. It's terrible. That shag carpeting. What a right. terrible era. You, There can't be any collectible cars from that period. And that was the narrative, you know, 20 years ago. And, and I bet 20 years before that, it was, there's no way cars from the Post-war era. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, yeah. So I think you mentioned when we got here that you had a discussion with somebody that started a topic and you wanted the topic of the day to be how things have changed and young people can't afford collector cars because 
uh, everything has changed so much. And my immediate mm-hmm. reaction is, I'm not sure I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I think we've talked about this before where there's a, where there's a traveling window yes. of what is collectible. And I think the things right now that are collectible to maybe more my age group than yours. So forties instead of nineties, um, um, uh, are, have gotten expensive, but I think the stuff that's newer than that hasn't yet. And so, you know, to a kid today, growing you know somebody who's who's 25 years old i don't think they're all that interested in the 70s 80s and 90s stuff that we are i think the radwood has made that stuff relevant and accessible and interesting to people and when i talk to well it's interesting because i have a friend who's he's only seven years younger than me uh and he is you know of the mind that he calls them bush era cars which is early 2000s cars and there's been an, an emergence of collectible cars of that genre already mm-hmm. you know 996 gt3s used to be $55,000 and now they're like $100,000 or like 996s you know used to be 15 grand and now the equivalent car is 16 grand. No, they're like $20,000. Those are still, I think, really good value in 996s. And part of the reason for that is that, but 997s are more expensive. They never depreciated as much because it's the same car, but better in a, a bunch of meaningful ways that have made them not depreciate as much. You know, so then you look at 997, GT3s used to be $70,000 and now they're $120,000. And just all this stuff that was sort of in the realm of like, Okay, if I'm a good professional, get a good professional job and save up, then I can buy a sort of sixty, seventy thousand dollar Porsche GT3 and be driving around in a car with hydraulic steering that's naturally aspirated and feels special and aggressive and sporty. And you know, the the actual avenue that for me started this sort of thought was the air cooled Porsche. When I was do when I first bought one, uh, that you you know you could buy. If you were careful, you could buy a 911 SC for eleven or twelve thousand dollars. This a was coupe. When? This is like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand up to two thousand twelve, or beyond. Okay, so fifteen you know, years ago plus. Yeah, fifteen years ago, you know, if you had no money and you wanted an enthusiast car, and you're like, I want something that's a driver's car, and I want it to be rear wheel drive and a manual transmission and naturally aspirated, you buy an E30 for you know thirty five hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you buy a Miata for you know. Also, thirty five hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you had a little more money, you could buy an E thirty M three for thirteen grand, mm-hmm. or an E thirty six M three for kind of similar money. Uh, and then you're like, or instead, you could buy a nine eleven. You could buy an air cooled nine eleven for the, mm-hmm. the same money instead of buying an E thirty M three. You know, those cars have both done about the same thing. They're now both worth seventy thousand dollars or whatever. Uh, and so I liked the idea that basically. Like fresh out of school, you're like, okay, I got a bonus. I got some kind of corporate job. They gave me 10 grand. I'm going to sell the shitbox that I had before and take the 10 grand that they gave me. And I'm going to buy an air cooled 911 and get like, which is an iconic and timeless and like very visceral experience of steering feedback and like old carness, but usable every day. And plenty of parts exist and ready to maintain like with relative ease as long as nothing big mm-hmm. needs work i.e. the engine transmission otherwise they're very cheap right. to, to look after the Beatles. and and so <laughs> the fact that it used to be possible and this you know everybody wants a porsche we always complain about how everybody likes porsches but the fact of the matter is like it was a great entry-level sports car to buy for 12 or fifteen thousand mm-hmm. dollars if you wanted a really nice one 
Uh, and I've, I think that's a shame because I talk to people who are, you know, five or 10 years younger than me. And like the idea that you would entry level a 911 that's air cooled is just completely foreign. Instead, that's like a $45,000 for like a rough, ah, okay, 40 if you're getting like a mid-year with a cooked 2.7 engine. Uh, and so to me, that's really tragic uh, because that's like a really great way to have a usable sports car that's not too much pain. And, you know, and E30s are not $3,500 anymore. They're now fifteen dollars or $25,000 for a good 325 that has a red line that's not six RPM. Uh, <laughs> like the, 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 the NS. Yeah. Um, uh, or the M10. Very rarely board. fully disagree with you, and I fully disagree with you. Okay. Okay, so... Uh, you brought up a couple. I wish actually that we had. <laughs> let's not admit this to the audience. So guys, tune out for a second. I wish that we had a ha- had some time to really talk about this beforehand because I would have charts and like I I'll, I would pull the legal brief that I did to poor uh, Matt Farah in in my uh, discussion with him about the Cybertruck with illustrated um, diagrams. I'm sorry to say, is in the fucking document, so I'm, I can show you guys there. But okay, you bring bring up a couple cars. First of all, 15 years ago, you're talking about Porsches that are twelve thousand bucks, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the idea of having an air cooled car. Um, what is that fifteen thousand dollars worth in today's money? That's my first question. So that fifteen thousand dollars is probably twenty five, right? Twenty two, twenty five, somewhere in there, just based on inflation. So now that, let's also then take the car that's 15 years newer than that SE, right? Because everything has shifted forward 15 to 20 years. And so you can you can take a clap that SC and 996 and mm-hmm. that $12,000 SC becomes a $15,000 or $20,000 996. And actually the kids aren't any worse off than the kids, the younger people who are looking at they're getting a job. You got old. So the cars that were of our interest to you, which are the air-cooled cars, as an old person, um, and I'm not—I'm I'm joking around about calling you old, but I mean, those are now so; those are the same cars that were out of out of touch for us when we were twenty-something years old, because those were the seventy cars, the seventies cars that were just way too expensive for us. And if you look now, an E30 M3 that was twelve thousand bucks fifteen years ago. Well, 15 years post E30 M3 is nineteen is 2006. That's an E46. Yeah, and if you get the E46 that you want, it's like $60,000. You want a coupe with a competition package that's okay, not clapped at, out, then it's oh, $60,000. Well, at the time, you were talking about an Evo 2 M3, right? Those were 50, 60,000 bucks or 40, 50 at the, at the time. So what I'm talking about is you said 325i, right? What is, an, what is a late LCI like 2005 330i ZHP, which would be the equivalent of a uh, 325is sedan. 15 or 20. Right. Same as that. But that's not $3,500. What is that $3,500 now? It's $7,500. Yeah, but that $3,500 buys you a $6,000 really nice 325i or 330 non-ZHP. Yeah, but you used to be able to get a 325is for that kind of money back then. The one you actually wanted. Could you? A really, really, really nice one? Well, that doesn't have to be really, really nice. You just said a not really, really nice one. You just said like a reasonable, usable one. In all seriousness, though, I bought my wagon in 2002, which was an ish, nice-ish, not great, 325i wagon for 1,500 euro. Mm -hmm. And then I bought my first, when I moved to California, this is a perfect, moved to California was 2000, January of 08. Eight, seven, whatever, whatever it was, I bought an 88 325i coupe um, for 3300 bucks, And it was a 220,000 mile, no clear coat, 
cheap chip box. I think you could go and replicate that right now, inflation adjusted with an E46 325 or 330i with no paint, 200,000 miles on it, it'd be three grand, four grand, five grand. I think, I think actually the value proposition is still there. I just think that you're stuck, to use a term, and I don't get mad at me, but you're still looking at the same cars when to somebody who's 25 years old right now, an E46 is a fucking old car. E90s are old. E F30s are old. I like all these the 20 something year old people that I know are like, oh, I just bought like an F30. And I'm like, why the fuck did you buy that pile of shit? But that's an old car to them. That's an E30. Yeah, but it's to not me. good. That's an objectively not a good car. And so let, let me finish because the, the, the rest of this conversation was actually a discussion about uh, <laughs> what I concluded was that the, the, the new generation of enthusiasts is being fucked in three key ways. Oh, and, God. This is very good. <laughs> I wish that I had thought about this more recently than like two weeks ago. But one of them is the cost of living and the amount of disposable income that they have when they graduate, right? The amount, the cost of education, um. <laughs> <laughs> cost of education, the amount of student debt that you graduate with means that you don't have as much disposable income. So you have less disposable income. The cost of things going up means that, well, and then this is true of everybody. And so everybody has less disposable income. So there's less interest in buying enthusiasts, sort of frivolous cars. And this is an argument that you yourself made in that episode about the, what was it, the Z? Do not use my quotes <laughs> against my own argument. But, but the point on. is that the menu yeah. of cars that you have to choose from that are interesting and enthusiastic is very different. The quantity and breadth yeah. and option number Absolutely. of options at reasonable, accessible price points is a lot smaller now than it was. In the new car market. Absolutely. In the new car yeah. market is than it was in the 1990s, right? You had the whole sport compact thing. There were all kinds of different price points and different ways to spend sort of, I don't know what the number is, $20,000 on an interesting car. You know, Anything from that's 10 a, to 40 was, yeah, you know. Yeah, you had a lot of options. Great you could there. do Corrado or you could do MR2 or you could do all of the Civics, front wheel drive RX, Civics. All and, that yeah, Integras. And, and, exactly. And yeah. SERs and Celicas. It was nonstop. Yes. Hyundai Tiburons for fuck's sake. I mean. So yeah. all of that is not all of it's Eclipse. gone, but most of it has gone. And so They're there's, all. so all of that stuff mm. in the secondary market doesn't exist. And so there's fewer options that are good, that are just cheap, that you can pick up for no money to drive around and, and have a good time because everybody has less disposable income, including the people who are, you know, first entering the, the enthusiast car buying market in, yep. in a secondary form. And so there's less stuff to buy because of the other, you know, factors. And so I just feel like it's a, a worse time to be an enthusiast as a result. Did you give of, the all three ways that got fucked or was that only no, two? No, I can't remember what the other one was because <laughs> I did this like two weeks ago and we did absolutely no preparation for this episode. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what other ways they could possibly be fucked. Um, well, it's that other stuff has gotten more expensive, right? If you look at the, the outside... The, and I was like this too. And, you know, I bought cars of this era that I'm describing, which is like the 80s and 90s, because that was what I could afford, not because what it was it was what I wanted, because my spirit age was so old. I wanted those cars right. from the 60s. You know, I do also remember a 3.8 liter E-type coupe that ran, and it was a two-seater, so not a two plus two, which is the one you don't want, um, for 17.5 when I, when I started doing this. And I was like, man, that's a hell of a cool car for 17.5. It happened, you know, but for the most part, the cars that I was lusting after, which were, were cars from the 60s and 70s, you know, you, you pointed out the 70s 911s. You know, during the same era when a 911 SC cost $12,000, a long hood 911S from the early 70s, a 72 911S was like, Hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars. Jesus Christ! And you drive them back to back, and you're like, "Yes, he's kind of better." And I don't have that reaction when I drive a nine nine six. Okay, so you that's you're you're totally right there in that 
cars have not gotten better to drive, right? They've not gotten more interesting. Yes. And I think that is definitely one way where this, this generation is getting shafted. Yes, when you bring up the F30 example, it's perfect for that because you're like, why did you buy that shitbox? Whereas if someone yeah, but had to, driven an to E30 and is like, oh, it's actually quite kind pleasant. The same thing I, with the E36. Yeah, but what I have to do is always, what I do is a gut check. I always put myself in the, where was I or how old was this car when I was XH, right? And compared to a G30, the current three series, which is the size of a tank and is basically a large luxury car, the F30 is, is light and quick and, and small and does all those things. And it's turbocharged so the kids can play with it and get more power out of it. And you want to go even older, E90. Wow, that doesn't even have a car play. Like that's a genuine, like I think... When I got my Scirocco, I was 21 years old and it was 10 years old. That was an ancient car. I was scared shitless of that car because it was so old, right? I bought it for 1500 bucks. Technically, my dad bought it for 1500 bucks without his I knowledge. I never had that thought but, ever. I never thought about safety. Yeah, I think, but I, was it safety? Yeah. Uh, I didn't, it, was, it wasn't safety. But it was why did just, it scare you? Oh, because it was, if it broke. No, no, it scared me because, oh my God, it's an old car. What if it breaks, right? Oh. What if, they, how am I going to get parts for it? How am I going to fix it? I was 21 years old and a 10-year-old car was old. Um, mm -hmm. Same thing, I, I was 20, uh, 20 when I bought my 6.9. Like that was a 19, that car was only four years younger than I was. So that car was 16 and that was an, a genuine antique to me. Mm -hmm. Like this was a car that I was buying to flip and make some money on. Cause that's basically how I supported myself when I was in college. Um, and it was this ancient, ancient car. Right. Mm -hmm. So those cars were 10 and, or effectively. I never had that response. Cause my first car was the same age as me because I and think my second car was too. I think that's highly unusual. Right. I think that most people, their first enthusiast cars are, are cars that are 10 or, or the, you know, an old car to most people is something that they remember when they were eight, nine, 10 to 11, 12 years old. It's sort of coming of age as a car enthusiast. And to, the joke is that I see somebody today, like my nephew, for example, who is 20 years old, um, and his, what the hell year is that? G35 that he's got is 2006. So that car, he was, that, that car's three years younger than he is. And it's an old car to him. I don't own anything that new. Like, that's the joke. So when you're talking to a 21-year-old today, a car that is as old as they are is a 2005 or 2006. And that's... That's an F30. Those are no, old. No, F30 came out in 2012. Okay, fine, fair enough. But E90, E90 right? E90. And that, Which is a genuinely good car. And but it's a, a genuinely modern car to me, right? You and I think of that as like, oh my God, I don't need anything that new. That's, that's, that's the gut check that I do all the time is how old was this person when that car came out? And so for somebody today who's 25 years old, uh, they're looking at a car that's 10 years old. Well, okay, that's an old car to them. In the same way the Scirocco was an old car to me, 10 years old is a fucking, think about that. Like 10 years old is a 2014. Yeah. 2014, that's, that is F30. So, but the problem is there's no cars from 2014 that anyone is an who's an enthusiast wants. Okay, and I would say, let's wind back the tape to when, I was 20 years old. Yeah, nobody said everyone, anything about the 80s was going right, to be cause cause Right, because they said it was though, shit. Like, yeah, there's computers the in it. There's yes, a computer in that thing. Carburetors. Is, exactly, 16 valve with that little 1.8 liter, who cares? And then you go back 10 years before that, oh, there's plastic in the interior. Nobody's ever going to find this car collectible because there's plastic, because real cars have metal dashes that kill you on impact. Um, 
I just feel like there's this moving window that we always, we as aging car enthusiasts, and I, I don't mean that, but we're all aging, right? Every year goes by. As we get older, we really have to keep thinking about what an quote old car is to a, to a young person. And I, I really do think about this all the time, that when my Scirocco turned 15, the day it was eligible, I ran myself over to the DMV and got classic plates for it. My fucking Lotus, my new car, that's like my new car is 15 this year. Mm -hmm. Like I think of that as a fully modern 100%, like I could drive that off the dealership and say, it's 15 years old. I thought the Scirocco was ancient when it turned 15. Same thing's happening with the kids. The so, other phenomenon, though, to discuss on this topic, which is at play, is that cars, to me, feel like they get collectible when they are not as old as it used to be. For example, 997 GT3 became never really fell off and became worthless. There were certain cars that for a long time became worthless, and there's cer mm -hmm. that certain cars don't do that anymore. We are acutely aware, and this is, I think, the result of the rate at which things are progressing, although you could argue this is often been the case. Uh, but people are very acutely aware of loss right now with the transition to EVs right. and the computerization of cars. Mm -hmm. And so there was never a moment where you could go and buy certain cars that for cheap, like E30 M3s for $10,000. You know, that to me feels like it's not happening anymore. Would you say what, E46 M3? E46 M3 has dropped. So E36 has dropped, E46 has dropped. E90s, E36s are, E46s are still dropped. <laughs> E46s- E36s are still dropped. Yeah, Sorry, E36s are say. still dropped. But E90, okay, so I think- uh, E90s didn't, I don't know, never went much below 20. They never did. And I think there's a reason for it. I think what changed is the recipe changed and that car died. There was no follow-up. No, no to replacement. E90. Yes, the same right? reason F30 why, was why same Z8s thing. never went below eighty thousand dollars, but SLs, Mercedes SLs, gave, yeah, went to yeah. twelve. I think. I think when you see when you when find something the doesn't end, get replaced, yeah. Ford GT, the first the, the 0506 Ford GT yep. did the same thing. You get the end of a story, and the car ends, and there's no follow-up to it. Mm -hmm. So, for example, one M coupes. Mm -hmm. uh, they never really dropped yep. either. Same thing. It was the end of a legacy, right? The M2 was ostensibly its replacement, but it really wasn't. It was and that's, I think, what I'm s lamenting is the fact that cars are changing quickly enough that people are realizing as soon as the last one goes out that the, the next one, you've lost something. And so they don't yeah. get cheap and accessible enough. This is the way that they, the air, you know, air-cooled 911s for decades used to be able to run around and pick them up for 10 grand. Well, I think what you're seeing is the inflection point where cars used to get better and better and better and better and better and now are getting not better and they're getting worse and worse if you're and an worse. enthusiast as an enthusiast right and i yes. think there are some ways i sound like an old man saying that and i have to check myself again but i think in a lot of material ways cars are no longer better and more they were constantly getting faster and more efficient and more safe um and in a lot of ways better looking and in, oh, more reliable and better built and there was this inflection point and if we use bmw as an, as an example or uh, porsches as an example in the early aughts where that stopped happening and the cars got technologically better from a governmental perspective of oh and from this, an engineer's perspective also kind of not because a lot of them got more complicated and then they're re less reliable so mm -hmm. you know everything got downsized and turbocharged so on a government uh fuel economy test they did better but in the real world they weren't actually any better and you know there's companies like i don't remember automatic um that was a 
OBD toothing that you can plug in and monitor all your gauges. That was all a sham. You paid 15 bucks for it because what they did was look at all the real world data and then use that to sell to other car companies. And they knew, for example, I knew somebody who had worked with them and knew right off the bat that in the real world, the uh, EcoBoost F-150s were actually using more fuel than the old naturally aspirated V8s. Mm. And that was something they never published. And I think they're, they're long gone out of business. But that sort of real world degradation versus government regulations like oh this thing has more power and it's faster and yeah genuinely a lot of people do like the ecoboost f-150s better but the reality is didn't it didn't line up the reality didn't line up with the testing and i think that's that inflection point where f30 all of a sudden the base three series has a four-cylinder turbo yeah, was it more efficient yeah and te government tests yes and on highway steady state highway cruising yes in the real world probably not um but it certainly lost a lot of the charm that made the previous three series so good and the loss of hydraulic power steering and so when you're on the downward slope yeah at the, every time things don't get better the exception to that has been porsche gt cars and so that's the really fascinating one because every time one comes out, we think it's going to be the end of the, the uh, end of the legacy, right? Oh, 911 R is well, never going to get replaced. from the old cloth. That's why it is spiritually an old car, even if it's not physically an yeah. old car. It's well, but the, look, the GT team can't fix the fact that 992 is a big fat pig and the 991 was a big fat pig. But what they can do is at least put brilliant powertrains and suspensions in them to make them work good enough. Well, and if anybody can engineer their way around a bunch of sort of suboptimal original engineering choices it's, it's porsche, porsche. <laughs> that's true but yeah that this is the mark the mar part of the market that i don't understand how like i can't predict because i can tell you like m2 they're going to tank in value and they're going to continue to tank in value because they're being replaced by something that uh, does something the same thing else, but better the same, same thing but ostensibly better and they're yeah. never going to be that special like like a 1m coupe was but every time i get into a new 911 i'm like yeah the thing's going to tank in value and the gt team comes out with something so if we look at like 911r okay we thought that was going to be the best so they were trading at six hundred thousand dollars even though they're three times their sticker and then gt3 touring comes out and it's kind of better at least as good and much in more some, common. Better in some respects and, yeah. and less special in others. And then so that comes out and they were like, ah, shit. All right. Yeah, so then, they went to, so then 911 R's went down to 250 or right. 300. And then, then 992 comes out. We're like, oh, this thing is really big, really fat, really heavy, really numb, crappy interior that rattles all over the place. And then they come out with GT3 and it's spec spectacular again and then people are paying two hundred thousand dollars over a sticker and now 911 st happens and it's like wait a second st is probably better than 911 r to drive i would love to have them all together which is probably better than it's a better car than 997 g3 uh, g3 rs for example which was mm. to me the four liter was a high bar but they're at least we're talking about them in the same sentence, right? Yes, that's true. Now, Porsche comes out with an announcement that they're killing off the fucking turbo downsized engines for the base Carreras. Whoa, hold on, guess what? That means, A, I was right. And I, you know, everyone who's been bitching about this downsized turbo trend was right because Porsche was the one who did it best and still they're reversing course because they see the difference between manual gearbox, um, the, the values and people's willingness to pay money for manual. They understand their customer and they're responding right. to them. And the customers don't want automatic or aren't willing to pay big bucks for automatic turbos. And they are for manually NA motors. So what happens to the Porsche values? That's the confusing one because. Which ones? And uh, this GT3 is, is the reign of the GT3 uh, and those series of GT cars at Porsche over once Carrera goes back to a manual. Uh, 
this is uncharted shit. This is really interesting. Because that's the, the one exception to the, to the, the market doing this. The answer to the this. question lies in the experience. Does it provide an experience that is equal to or greater than the old one? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, this, so the, the, like for, if you look at 996 GT3 versus 997 GT3, both, mm -hmm. one is just a better version of the other. And yep. so the value relationship between them has always been the same. The 997 is always worth a little bit more than the 996. There's a few people out there who will say, you know, the 996 is better because it has fewer electronic, lar in large part, you're giving up very little when you, uh, you gain a lot. When you you yeah. gain a lot, and you give up very little when you go from the nine nine six to the nine nine seven GT three. Yes, uh, and there's a big step that happens between nine nine seven and nine nine one GT three. And so, that, you know, if I had to choose one, I would choose a nine nine seven over a nine nine one personally, and, and the subsequent versions because of the steering and the it's a weight bit of, of the a clutch and the shifter. There's like a there's a something that was lost. There's a philosophical change between 997 GT3 and 991 GT3. Yes. And 997 beats the shit out of you. That yes. is a car that- It's old school. I am it's not man enough school. to drive every day. That yes. clutch is a knee breaker. The shifter will break your wrist. Yep. The car is violent. Um, and really I, firmly sprung. Really firmly sprung. I, and I it doesn't mean, have axle lift, so the approach and departure, you're always scraping. It's seriously compromised. 991 GT3 cars, including R and everything else, are daily drivable. Yes, 100%. Um, which makes them better cars, but I think they're slightly less in experience. Mm -hmm. um, I don't... I, I, they're different enough in that sense. Yes, that, that their values actually can be somewhat de de decoupled. Exactly. Yes. But I am really curious to see what happens now because I think you're right. We you've identified that inflection point where cars aren't getting well, better. Well, the turbocharged 911s. We do know the turbocharged base cars are going to be valueless. <laughs> yeah. Well, and think about the four-cylinder box. Yes, I was right? going to say exactly. The same so thing. there's a perfect example. Five years from now, somebody turns twenty-something years old. Actually, I know someone already who's already bought a Cayman. An, a PDK four-cylinder base Cayman for nothing because mm -hmm. there were yeah so the what what nine fourteens used to be right it's a red-headed stepchild of the Porsche line and those things will be worth thirty yeah. five hundred bucks yeah and then then you can have a like Porsche and it's an actual Porsche experience yeah. for no money and, and for then, that money in the same way that nine nine sixes are not the best nine elevens ever made but the money wouldn't you factor the money in great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I daily drove about. a 996 that I bought for $17,000. And at the same time, I had a Carrera 3.2 that I paid 35 for. Right. And I was like, this is literally half as much money as the Carrera 3.2. Yeah. And it is appreciably better in some ways. You know, it's not as special of an experience, but as a, as a daily, as it's a daily, wonderful. Pff, yeah. You know, and and the 996 now, like you said, is an old car and I think does feel old enough for and, a new generation of people. So, and, and even when you start to look at things like an F30 BMW 3 Series, it was a huge disappointment when that car came out in almost every way, and I was really hard on it. Now, after driving G, so G30 is a is a very different type of three series. I've never driven one, and I'm really struggling with what you're about to say. F30 makes a compelling daily driver. Look at the sea of other choices you have. Oh e no, I'm go that's fucking old. That's I'm my fucking point. old. Okay, but the kids who are buying that, somebody who's 23 years old who's got their first 26 years old straight out of grad school getting a grad. I mean, they're still seriously expensive cars, right? I mean, I'm I'm not saying 20,000 bucks is cheap, but if you want to go out and buy yourself an enthusiast car, $20,000 for one of those things is a hell of a daily driver against the sea of hybrid four-cylinder other piles of shit that you could choose from. And that's the perspective we need to keep as we're getting old, as or older. <laughs> but it's also a reflection of the state of the uh, 
the car industry and which has always been the case lost. which has yes. always been the case because the 40s guys hated the 50 shit and the 60 shit and the 60 guys hated the 80 shit and the 80s guys hated the 2000 i don't want traction control i want to die like a real man sideways off a cliff when i hit an ice patch it was the same shit the fucking arguments that i used to have on the internet back to when there were listservs about people hating on anti-lock brakes I don't want, I can stop faster. No, you fucking can't. But there's, I'm sorry. Like there were so many arguments we used to have in the Scirocco list, which is before VW Vortex or before any of these forums where people are like, I'm keeping my Scirocco. I'm not buying a Mark III because I don't want anti-lock brakes. I mean, what? people used to say that about power steering also versus manual steering. It, what I think we, my my takeaway from this whole discussion is it's the it's same shit. It's a bunch of shit, shit that, that people don't care about. But it's all the same shit. It's the same shit has happened throughout history, and I don't think the market has changed. I think the, the I don't think that anything has happened other than an inflection point and the venue and ways that people sell cars. Well, and the options that you have if you want to buy a car of that era. Yeah, what are their choices that you have that are like actually enthusiastic and compelling? You just there's a, the menu is smaller. Okay, a fifteen now. year old car now for a for a you know somebody who's coming of age as a young professional and has some money to spend in a car, I think they have plenty of choices. They're just not choices that are, that you uh, are interested in. Give, like, give would me you, a Lexus you, ISF. How would you think that, that that menu of choices compares in in voluminousness and Their, affordability compared affordability to... Affordability is the same. That, I, that I'm, I'm going to fight you on. Voluminosity of choice. We have an entire category of cars that's gone gone and that's the sport compact mm -hmm. that is everything from you know everything we mentioned before but if you really start digging into what was available in the 90s for 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 purchase new at a dealership that was kind of fun and cool they're all gone that whole segment of cars is gone and that's everything from you know we talked about the crx but also including eclipse prelude prelude zx2 escorts i mean it was just yeah, the world GT. was your oyster the mazda mx3s to i mean it was just your that was a golden era to be you know nissan Sentra ser for fuck's sake that thing was like a dream yeah. all that whole segment's gone so you're totally right there but i don't think the affordability is all that and different. so what are we left with in there and so then instead you what you buy an an nd2 for twenty thousand dollars or an, an nc, or an NC, for, NC for eight or like or 10 or 12 or 15 yeah right there you go. which is they which got is expensive too expensive what was less what cheap was, what was that 15 years ago in terms of inflation? Are you just old that old man who was like, yeah, I bought my car for gas was $1.72 a gallon. No, 72 12,000 bucks for an NC. That's 8,000 bucks 15 years ago. It's not, I don't think they've gotten that much more expensive. Yeah, but the point is that the number of survivors is like, okay, you have Miata and you have BRZ, FRS, you know, like I mean, what else? For, for new cars now or 10 or 15 No, for cars? things that you would buy that are like in that, sort of first discretionary car purchase oh type my god of realm. now this is i'm so terrible at random access facts um so like my hard drive spinning but the the excel sheet is i just feel up. like there's not that many of those options i left. think there is and i think if i pulled up my spreadsheet of all the cars that i drove in like 2007 and 2008 that were just in the press fleets back then that that's now almost 20 years ago that's 18 years ago i bet there's plenty of shit i can't think of it <laughs> You were no, just saying words I mean, okay, to try there, and give the your three hard series drive. Was, there was okay. The, the Audi A4. I mean, look, if you really wanted to go for it, you bought an RS4 and that was a hell of a car, right? So you had- And M3. values have supported that. Those cars never really went much below the high 20s. Yeah, they're not crazy. 
I mean, RS4, you can get an RS4 for, and that uh, that is, I mean, they're now really spiking in value. But you had GTI, you had R32, both of them, Mark IV and Mark V. You had Jetta GLIs over there. Then you had Civic SI with a K20, and then the next one with a K24. Those were spectacular. And these are all cars that happened to have direct analogs in the 90s that weren't part of oh, this sh- fast of shit canning. There was a Genesis Coupe. <laughs> think about, so you had a four-cylinder or a Turbo 4, a V6 Genesis Coupe. Okay, so that replaces one sport Lexus, compact. Lexus, IS Let's call that Mitsubishi. IS300, <laughs> IS350, and the ISF. You have, I'm just trying to think of like cars that were cool back then that like I would consider like still fun. Evo. You still you had Evo STRWRX. They they were like ready to die and they have died since. But that Evo nine was fucking magic. Yes, yes. And the Evo ten wasn't half bad either. Um, I think there was choice there. I'm trying to think of like what cool comparison test did I do back in the day of like other cars that I would get out of. I just, even like Infiniti, M, uh, that M45, if you want like, this is a great car. M45 was the five series sized, so it's a mid-sized sedan with a really lusty V8 and mm-hmm. um, uh, and a five-speed automatic that spun the shit out of it. So it was a great sports sedan. That, that would be like 3,500 bucks for a car now that is fast and well-built and solid. They smell like wet dogs, but everything else was great about them. Um, there had to, have, I kind of wish I could pull the spreadsheet out right now, but I bet you I could come up with 10 10 that's yeah. not enough yeah, but how many cars okay how many cars from from 1972 to 1975 oh you just happened to choose like peak em- 60, emissions 64 67 to 71 that you think are really of interest that would be affordable to people in 1980 i don't think any era has that many cars other than the sport compact era i mean you age. would just like vast swaths of the muscle car thing which just seems to go on ad infinitum like there was so a, many there were three cars, cars during that there period. were three cars all three basic cars with all different bodies on them next what else was your choice a volkswagen beetle a ford pinto a chevette no well then <laughs> you then you start to go to like the 240 z's of the world and the that's one Okay. And then you like, be, I mean, well, should we then go to Europe? <laughs> well, but, okay, let's think about this. All right, you want a 240Z in 1971, right? It's like, you know, it's 80 something. We're talking 1983 and you're like, okay, I like something like a Z. How many choices did you really have in that sort of segment? You had obviously the Z. I guess you had an Alpha GTV or an Alfetta GT or, or something, some sort of Alpha or Or just coupe. a GTV, yeah, sure. What other cars were there I, and i genuinely ask this what other cars i were mean there 911s were cheap enough that okay. they could be competing in there in that space too bmw 2002 i mm-hmm. mean uh i don't know what what else is there in that realm all the british sports cars you could do triumphs and mgs and use jaguar e-types and you know austin healy's and aston martins that were the old were cheap then so were ferraris i mean that those they were all just free at that time basically. my point is could you really come up with more because you're like 10, only 10 how could you come up with 10 cars that were affordable and enthusiastic or like enthusiast focused that were from you know that were cheap enough in 83 from the range of 67 to 71 i don't I think, think there'd so. be that many, many more than 10 i think i could i think that's another episode <laughs> uh, okay. i just i don't know i i have to always balance the whole idea like to me so do you to, think it is as good a time to be a young enthusiast with some discretionary income now as it ever if you, was. If you, you prioritize speed, yes. Otherwise, no. No, I think. 
I, but I don't think it's as bad as I don't. I don't think the the economics have changed all that much. To be honest with you, I, I really don't. What about disposable income? I'm not twenty something years old, so it's kind of hard to tell. I I think about this all the time. One of the times I was most mad at my father, <laughs> um, I was probably. 19 i was in college i was working full-time killing myself so work and school full-time um and something something he said we were talking about buying something and he was like whatever it's a hundred dollars jason it's a hundred bucks like no big deal and i was violent i was like one hundred dollars one hundred dollars that is that is so much money it's like here it's a hundred bucks and he handed me a hundred dollars $100 bill. And I was so mad that he, I had to work. I mean, at the time I was probably making, I don't know, what, 12, $13 an hour. So you're talking 10 hours of work to after, and then well, 15 with taxes and everything else, just to be able to do what he thought was just meaningless, a hundred bucks. And I catch myself now when I, like I, my, my niece came here a couple weeks ago and she did that driving school. And I caught myself almost saying thousand bucks, whatever. Like almost said that in front of her. And to someone who's finishing high school, like that is a life altering, like cha life changing amount of money. And I think about that like, okay, a thousand bucks is to me right now at 48 years old, a very different thing than a thousand bucks was to me. In inflation aside, when I was 30, like at 30, a thousand dollars, I can't take the chance of losing a thousand dollars or blowing a thousand bucks. All right, I just spent a thousand bucks on on a bunch of lighting and like and shit in my garage that's meaningless to me. But I think as you get older, that stuff, the dollar amounts, as you get more established and you're you know making more money and you've accrued more shit through your life, that stuff gets smaller and smaller. And so I don't think the economics have changed all that much. I but disagree I'm not with you strongly because I think that if you look at the cost of owning a home and how out of reach that is relative to the way that wages have gone up and the cost of education and the amount of student debt that comes with that and the fact that it is impossible to work a, a, an actual human number of hours and go through school and pay for the cost of school cu coupled yeah. with the cost of real estate. I mean, you've seen what real estate values have done alone. If you just look at real estate as an isolated example. Yes. But I've also say, I've, I will also point out that I now live in the Bay area, which is fucking nuts. And I could go back to, I mean, I bought my first house in Pittsburgh. It was not that long ago. Yes, it was. <laughs> I mean, but I was 22 years old and the house was 77,600 bucks. And I remember laughing because I'm from New York, right? So New York and Germany, which were both very expensive real estate. And I wound up in school in Pittsburgh. I graduated and I'm like looking at like, well, I'm, gonna start, I'm starting a business and I may have, I don't want to be at the whim of some landlord if I have to move the phone lines because phone lines were important. Phone numbers were not portable at the time. And I looked at like, oh, let me just buy a house out in the, in the burbs. And it was 77,600 bucks. And my, I was just so easy. That house right now is maybe 200,000 bucks. And this was, that was 98. So here we are, we're 25 years later. Well, let's choose an urban area where someone who has a job that, that was they Pittsburgh. take out of school has to actually. That was Pittsburgh. That's I not graduated. a real place. It is. And Carnegie Mellon's got a huge autonomous car stuff. I mean, my friend Weston who passed away this year spent half his time in Pittsburgh. And that was always funny to me that he was always going to Pittsburgh for high tech shit. He worked for Aurora and that was where their base was. So you could easily live in, in, in a 
sort of secondary or tertiary city. No offense to any of that, but you know, Pittsburgh isn't a major metro area in the, in the way that the Bay Area or New York or Chicago or, or Boston is. Wonderful place to live and actually genuinely affordable. So I, I think, think if we're you look at here. where you see the percentage of the population, right? Let's choose the place where the 25% of the United States lives, which is going to be ex-urban areas. And mm -hmm. you say, what is the affordability of buying something there when you're fresh out of school? Such, and then you couple right. that with the cost of, of servicing your student loans. You don't, you're not even in the market to buy a discretionary car at that point. Oh no, anymore. no, but I don't know. I, I don't I genuinely, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you when, that it's not gotten harder, but I think our perspective here in the Bay area has made it, it, it makes it look worse than it is in most other places. I think education has gotten insane, insanely expensive, but I haven't looked at what, I haven't really taken a, a hard look at what it would be like to replicate my life. We're not talking about cars anymore. Yeah, well, We've we kind of are on. because at 22 years old, I bought a house in a Mercedes. Mm. Right. And I, I, literally was making nothing. I mean, I mean, God, I'm divulging too much. $13,000 that year, killing myself. Um, but the Mercedes was 3,200 bucks and, and the house was 77,000 bucks. And I, you know, and then I had the Scirocco that I did screw my father into buying me 1500 bucks. But there I was living large in like a brick house on a cul-de-sac. That was super cute. And it was, it cost me $300 a month and the car was like $40 a month. And it was, I don't know how much harder it's gotten to live there, but I don't live there anymore. And you don't live there. And so, you know, I think I agree with you in in almost all aspects about how it's less good to be an enthusiast now. But I think everyone at the age of 35 would say that about, you know, well, looking back, well, I had it, I had more choice and I we had better cars to choose. Um, and I think it's gotten more difficult to support yourself with a, paying for a college education. And I think there are a lot of economic forces that have changed, but I don't think it's changed as much as it appears to us because we're just getting older. Okay. And you don't want an F30. I don't want an F30. But, but kids now who were 12, people who were 12 years old when the F30 came out do. And that's an old car to them. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I have the same reaction. I'm like, what? Why would you want that shitbox? And then I realized, hold on. When, well, when you look at the alternatives. Ta-da. And you think about poor. what it what was that age when I was a kid. I When I was, you know, in my late teens, early 20s, I kind of wanted 80s cars uh, as an old car because they were 10 years old. I just, yeah, I mean, I always wanted cars that were like tw at least as old as me. And ideally, 20 years older. I think that's a really rare thing. Yes. I think that's why what makes you special. And to be honest, <laughs> poised. No, and I, and I don't say this to, to insult you. I, this is actually a really big compliment. I think it's what makes you almost uniquely qualified to do the work that you do and start the company that you've started. Now, Tatio has the same sort of uh, unusual Early experience yeah. is that, you know, his he was probably in the shop as a baby when my old Ferrari was there because Otis maintained that car from 86 to 2000. Um, so he was exposed to things that most children aren't um, and most young people aren't. And you, same thing for whatever your in, whatever it was that caused your interest to lie with older cars. And then for you to start working at wherever the places you were working, I guess it's FJ and whatever else, where you're photographing and washing the cars just so you could be around them. I think that's a hell of an education that most people your age don't have. 
And the fact that you can now marry that with a knowledge of the way the world works for younger people and in the way that oldie timey car dealerships can't. Wow, you gotta pay this by check and wire transfer and we're just gonna take pictures of it. And that, versus you who understand how to market a car online, how to market a car at an online auction, how to reach the people who are now coming of age um, and are, and, I mean, financially, and are now able to afford these cars, but then also how to tell them the stories with BTS of why they should care about this car. I think you're really uniquely qualified to do it, but I think your perspective is not normal. Yes, that I that much has been always true, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I, I think you are very different. Um, and I think the audience, I think everyone should put in the comments. How different how I am? How different is he? This is like, where on the spectrum is Derek? <laughs> We're not going to talk about that. We shouldn't talk about that. Um, no, but I really think it's. I think it's very important for us to to re keep in mind to go think. How I just want there to be a future where that's pretty cool for the future. next generation of enthusiasts. There is. I'm genuinely, you know, that is a concern for me. But that was also a concern for adults when I was a kid, and you know, Radwood cars became. I mean, we always saw it. I guess the best way to do this is to survey, right? I always thought Radwood cars were cool. There were all these cars that I lusted after that were all free, you know, comparative to how they are now, 500Es and, you know, all this 80s stuff that was worth nothing that has become valuable. You know, Countach's used to be $75,000 because they were like, oh, I see you can't afford a new one. Yeah. Um, and so no matter the price point, there's always some car where you're like, that's so cool. I just wish I had 75 grand, which, you know, now those are 750000 dollars so it's, it's just you know, the landscape has changed i i'm curious i guess now the thing to do would be to survey the next generation of people who were born after 2000 and say what cars do you lust after where that are like 10 grand 30 grand 50 75 thousand dollars that you just be like man if i only had that much mm -hmm. you know i mean i'm sure i could sort of look at what exists at those price points and figure out the answer to that you question. look at it, you see You know, is it a 360 for $70,000 or something like that? Yeah, but they're, I mean, they're kind of lusting after that, but what they're really doing is buying VQ engine Nissans and Infinities. And no, then but just BMW to say, what, if, you, if you had a pile yeah. of money fall in your lap right yeah. now, what are the cars you would buy at the, each price point? Yeah, you know? I bet they wouldn't line up with stuff that we're interested in. No, 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 that's you're, fine. I just am curious to know what those are because that's where the future is going to be. That's where the appreciation is going to lie in the yeah. future. Well, that's something for the comments. I mean, if you're 25 years old or under, and you, somebody gave you $75,000 today, what are you doing with it? This was a game that I used to play with with uh, my friend Mike, mm -hmm. was, all right, 50,000 bucks, what are you buying? Or I give you- You can't sell it. You can't sell it, <laughs> right? What are you, what are you getting? Yeah. And, or it, you buy a car, you have to keep it for three years and then sell it. Mm -hmm. um, and so what is it? And, and you're absorbing, like I'm giving you 75,000 bucks, but you absorb operating costs. We used to do this all the time. Um, I would love to, like if I had $75,000 right now, I know what I would buy, but I'm weird. I already have 11 cars. Yes. I'm, and I'm not. You're scratching an itch that's in a place that is like a very remote place as opposed to like the obvious right. place that yeah. first problem that needs solving. I'd be, you know what we should do? We should do like a live episode or something. I'm, I love how I'm signing us up for all kinds of shit. We have no way, but we should do a live episode where we have a conversation with, with people about, with younger people about this, like where they just come in and say their age and what they want to do. We make fun of them for choosing I mean, we the wrong do, It thing. doesn't have to be live. You could do this in the comments or we could do it as yeah. an AMA or yeah. as a, as when we solicit questions. But I think that's a great idea. I'm interested for the future. Yep. Um, I'm interested for your future and your business's future. Yeah, I think uh, me too. You it's an to exciting time, you know, the startup where you're just like, huh, interesting. Some revenue would be nice, but uh, you know, you it also 
things take a while. You got to put in some effort and fill the hopper and sort of do that. And the idea that everything should just fall in your lap is something that I don't subscribe to. This yes. is going to take some slogging and stuff like that. So Good. we'll have a grand old time yeah, with that. Go visit Derek's new website, which is what? OTS and Co. Or if you prefer, OT Sand Co. Which we discovered (laughs) by mistake. So we have to get a bucket of sand to put by the front of the door (laughs) when people first walk in. Why is there a bucket of sand? That says OT on it? Yes. Off topic sand. Off topic sand. Uh, Oh my God. Uh, Okay. Great. Thank you for joining Uh, us for this. Happy New Year episode. Yes. Happy New Year episode. We didn't do one last week, did we? I guess, yeah. Last year was New Year's Day. It was, yes. But we we failed to deliver on that. Caught us being lazy or being in bed with COVID. We had one on Christmas. That's true. Okay. Great. Thanks for joining us. See you next week, most probably. Yes. All right. (laughs) 